Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hi there, and welcome to Homeschool Together. Get out of here. Get off of my... Get out of my thing. Well, I think I should do the intro today. Go ahead. Because this is the second part of our garden school extravaganza. Listen, I'm not paid nothing for nothing. (laughs) I show up here, I get to do my intro, and then you talk for 40 minutes. Well, and today, I think I should do the intro because you're going to be the one to talk for 40 minutes because this is where your master gardener badge is going to shine. We spent our first half of our garden school episode talking, or a two-part series, talking about gardening with kids and all the great educational opportunities and some things to remember about working with kids in the garden and and growing food with kids. And today, for all those of you who are wondering about what should I grow, what size garden should I have, what should I plant, the Master Gardener, Matt, is on tap here to answer all of our questions. Grow pizza. (laughs) Grow pizza. Pizza plants. (laughs) Sign me up. Sign me up, yeah. Organic pizza plants. Before we get into Matt's vast uh, area of plant-based knowledge, uh, please go out there and leave us a review if you get a chance. We would love... Uh, love to see that. It helps new people find the show. If you haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button. And if you have a great idea for a show or you want to be on here and be interviewed or you want us to reach out to a specific creator because you would just love to hear what they have to say on the show, reach out to us. We're always accessible, homeschooltogetherpodcast at gmail.com. So, or any of the social medias, I'm on them all the time, way too much. So please just reach out to us. We love hearing from people. Or if you just really like the show and you want to say that you like it, we like hearing that too. So that's why you're not allowed to do the intro because it makes me look bad. It makes me look bad. (laughs) Everybody's sitting here going, why are they letting that that, that doofus ever talk? You know, it's like... Like, what's the point of this guy? You know, I, I feel like... Just let him edit the podcast. I let Ariel just talk. I, I stepped into the guest host role, and I I mean, I, I feel kind of comfy in the I'm, seat. I'm not going to say it, but you got big shoes to fill. <laughs> All right. So without any further eloquence, as one of my favorite uh, movies would say, <laughs> let's uh, let's get started. So we talked about gardening with kids. We talked about all the educational aspects. Yeah. All right. The people are convinced. What do we grow? Well, so... This is always the $10,000 question. People dive into it. They pull out the seed catalog. They see all the pretty flowers. I love the seed catalog. They, I know. You get your Johnny seeds from Maine. It comes in. It's like dreams. And you're like, oh, what am I going to grow this year? All these vegetables look so good. And I have these visions of eating 20 pounds of vegetables for every dinner. And you know that just never happens. That sounds bloaty. It's very okay. bloaty, yes. You know, <laughs> I'm going to grow the best spaghetti squash in the world. You know? And so you get all these ideas. And there's these beautiful plants. And there's all these great things. You know, I'm, always in, I'm always a big fan of kind of the keep it simple thing where grow what you eat, eat what you grow. That's the biggest piece of advice I can ever give to anyone who's looking to do kind of a produce or vegetable garden. Now, the people who've been gardening for a long time and they're 
starting to grow heirlooms and they're saving their own seeds. The, those people know what they're doing. But for a lot of us, we're, we're getting into our first, maybe second or third year of gardening and we're struggling or you're getting into your first year and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to grow. I don't know what to do. The biggest thing is to look back on what you guys like to eat, especially the kids, because you're including these kids into this environment, into this experience of growing food. Um, and the biggest thing is they want to be able to consume what they're eating as well. And you want to look back and say, you know, what do my kids like to eat? For a lot of us, some kid, we have some kids who have some really, you know, weird food choices. They only like to eat potatoes or they only like <laughs> to eat white stuff or, you know, whatever that might be. You want to look back and kind of see what, what does your family eat? What do you guys like to eat? Maybe pick one or two other things. Like, for example, Ariel's like, oh, we, I want to I have more salads. I want to, you know, grow my own salads, which is great. So the kids can grow salads for mom or dad and things like that. But think about what your family likes to eat and grow that and, and grow a, a, a small amount of those things. Not, not, a, not a ton, meaning variety wise. Don't say like, mommy likes to eat lettuce greens. Let's grow 15 different types of kale. <laughs> no, not necessary. Absolutely not necessary. So focus on, on something very simple, very easy. Um, I always like to have this adage of where you're thinking about, you're not going to grow all the produce you can to replace your entire summer's worth of, you know, eating and, and vegetables. You're never going to be able to do that, especially with a lot of us who live in kind of a suburban neighborhood. We're going to be replacing maybe one vegetable, maybe a salad throughout the, the latter part of the summer, maybe the second half, early second half of the summer. Maybe we can replace one or two meals of a vegetable side right? We're not replacing everything. We're just doing a little bit. So yeah, that's expert mode. Yeah, that, that's ex that is way, way big time expert mode. So I would not advise that. So keep it simple and then also grow what you eat and eat what you grow. And that's, I think the biggest thing. I, I, I always got that, that off of some of the survival podcasts I used to listen to, which is store what you eat and eat what you store. And the same idea applies to the garden of like grow what you eat and eat what you grow. You know, if you don't like to eat certain types of food, like we're not a big zucchini family. Speak for oneself. You know, well, I'm not a big zucchini family or eggplant. <laughs> like, right? We're oh, not yeah. an eggplant family. <laughs> and why Why would you ever grow eggplant? But there's some people who are just like, I want to grow an eggplant because it looks cool. You know, and that's not what you want to be doing with your precious space and precious time and the precious individuals who will be involved in this. You want to make sure that you're growing something that they're excited to eat. So we're going to grow something that we like to eat. Now there's, I mean, when you talk about like, don't grow 15 varieties of lettuce, there are a lot of different varieties. So how do you choose? Are, are you choosing, do you choose short, long? I mean, how do you make those decisions? I think a lot of people, when you're first getting into gardening, you want to focus on the things that take the shortest amount of time to grow. Um, and why is that? I like that quick satisfaction. Yeah, it, it's, it's both the quick satisfaction because you can say, okay, I get to have this thing quicker, but also you're going to run into problems. You're going to plant your lettuce greens too early and it's going to be cold and rainy. <coughs> it's Western Washington and they're not going to germinate <laughs> very fast. That's how we know. Yeah, they're not going to germinate very fast. Or if you're transplanting starts, maybe your starts, you know, get a little sunburned um, because they've been inside under your fluorescent lights and now you're putting them outside and they get a little stunted and then you get a little cold spell and you got to cover them. This is a detailed story. Well, like this but, has happened to somebody in this room before. Things oh my like gosh. this happen. And so you want to be able to grow things that are going to cycle fast. Um, the other thing I like about cycling fast crops, especially things like lettuce greens, they're so rewarding because you can cut them pretty much at any time. And we'll talk a little bit later about you know, how early you can actually cut them from say a microgreen all the way to a head lettuce. Those have different, you know, life, life cycles of what you're harvesting. 
but especially with like the bed of like cut greens, what's really cool about them is once you get them up to a certain height, maybe say three or four weeks, you know, the 21, the 28, the 36 day time frame, you can begin to, to trim them back and then they will regrow off the same stems. And so this, the idea of cut greens is a really great place to start because you can get like easy instant wins. Um, especially with the kids, it's something they can get out there and, and, you know, cut all the time and you can go out, send them out there like two or three times a week, especially if you can have a nice bed, bed of lettuce greens of cut greens, mixed kind of mixed greens, you know, arugula, spinach, things of that nature. And when you get these cut greens, man, you can like really enjoy having a salad every single night and have that satisfaction of being able to grow that. So I would always focus on short-term crops, things like corn, things like pumpkins, things like watermelon, those take a long time, very long time. Now I, there's always short, short versions of every one of those crops and you can find them and whatnot. But for most people, if you go shop at like Lowe's or Home Depot or Walmart, or if you're getting some, you know, the seed packet off the wall, those are going to be longer term crops. And so I would try to shy away from those for a couple of reasons. They tend to take up more space. Um, especially things like tomato, any type of vining plant, like a watermelon or a cantaloupe or a pumpkin or something of that nature where it's, it's meant to sprawl along the ground, you're going to immediately consume your garden space and it's going to be overflowing. And then you're going to have maintenance issues and it's going to kind of look ratty. And that might be kind of a negative, like aesthetics version uh, of an aesthetics issue for you. So tight, small, containable crops, beans are really, really good. Any type of long bean type of like a snap bean, Anything like that, they grow really fast. They grow very, they're very vigorous growers. They can trellis up so you don't have, have that issue of sprawl. So I like to contain small, contained kind of trellising crops and things that you can cycle fast. I think those are the easiest, biggest wins. A lot of us will eat beans. A lot of us will eat snappies. We'll toss it into a stir fry. We'll eat them with some ranch dressing. We'll have a short salad. Those are really easy wins for a lot of home gardeners that you're just getting out. You know, you're just starting off. Those are super easy wins for people. And so would you say with this, we should, we should start with, should people start with seeds or with starts or, you know, is it worth the extra money to pay for the tomato starts and things? Or should we, I think, you know, go, go whole hog, go seed. So, so I think, I think in the end it, 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 it's, it's always the same of depending, depending on what you want to do. I think from the standpoint of an educational experience, you should do a mixture of both. Most of us will want to grow some tomatoes like, oh, you know, I want to do some San Marzano's because I want to do tomato sauce. You know, I'll get some tomato plants. I don't necessarily think you should be growing your tomato plants from seed. Um, they take a, lo a, a long time to do that. Like three or four weeks, you got to have a nice apparatus, some lights to grow that inside. Then you have to transplant. And then maybe you have to tent for a little while, depending on where, where you're located in the country and what, what zone you're in. Um, that can be complex. A lot of times when you get to these larger plants like tomatoes, you can just go to your local home, home store and, you know, get, get a bucket of, of tomato plants for, you know, pretty, pretty low amount of money, right? And setting up the whole apparatus of growing your seeds indoors will probably outstrip the cost of just going to buy, you know, 10 tomato plants. So are those, right. are those things that they sell as starts then usually, um, plants that would have longer durations from seeds? So is this a, a great way to say like, well, yeah, I get all the short, sure. short stuff like lettuce, but I want to grow something longer. So if I buy a start, 
I can cut that time down. Well, right? the, the question is, is if you, if you go from seed, you have to have the infrastructure inside your house to begin to do that, right? Planting them in a little jiffy pellet or even into a soil cube or anything of that nature, it's going to require infrastructure once you get germination. So you can do that for the first maybe four or five days, but then once those first cotyledon leaves are punching through the soil, you got to get light on them. And, you know, a lot of times putting them in a windowsill or in a window is okay as long as you have good sun. Maybe you have a nice southerly facing window that gets, you know, full sun through the day. That's okay. But for a lot of people, maybe they don't have that ideal situation or they don't want to have their, you know, tomato starts sitting in with their kids in the living room where the dog plays and all that type of stuff. You may have to go get some infrastructure like shelving with some fluorescent lights that have nice, you know, nice temperature rating on them to allow you to, you know, let the starts go. But even then, when you transplant them outside, you're going to lose about a week or so because they're going to have to acclimatize to the outside. They're going to get a little bit of potential for burning. So you may actually have to acclimatize them outside for a day or two, bring them in, out, bring them in and out, and then you can plant them in the ground. So you're looking at this pretty complex, right? And I think from the standpoint of starting, you again, you want to go back to it, keep it simple. If I just go and buy a bucket from Bonnie's, that it's, you know, Sam Marzano's cost me 10 bucks, you know, and it's a pretty nice big start. I can throw that in the ground. It's already acclimatized. It's ready to go. It might take a few days for it to acclimatize to your pH and your soil, but, you know, it's ready to go and I don't have to have all that infrastructure. I think from standpoint of things that are a little bit faster, like lettuce greens, if you're going to do some head lettuce, that's something worth starting on the inside if you, if you want. But even then, if you're going to do mixed greens, a cutting bed of mixed greens, you just want to direct seed those. And would yeah. it be good to, to I, do things but, from seed like carrots yeah. and things that you would seed maybe in no. the winter? You could do those from seed? No, or? again, m- most things for like like carrots or lettuce greens, you're, you're probably going to want to direct sow those. Um, carrots being probably a really good example of that. And especially if you want to go into winter gardening, and we can talk a little bit about that later. Um, but those are things you want to probably direct sow, um, especially into your bed. Um because they're just, they're such a short season crop. A lot of carrots, especially if you have really good soil and you get a shorter version of carrot, like maybe like you're getting like a kind of a, that kind of looks like a radish carrot, like a round, a round body, not a long neck type of carrot. You can get, you know, a 60 day turnaround on those. And that's really, really, you, you don't need to do starts on that point. Like those really short crops should really just be directly sown into the soil. And again, that just makes it easier for you. As the, as the starting gardeners, you can just directly sow that. You may have to put some like row cover crop on, cloth on top of it to just kind of protect them. But other than that, it's pretty much straight into the soil. So your bigger plants, I would just say, if you're going to start out, just go, go to the store and buy them. And then, you know, do the direct seeding for things that are a little bit shorter. Okay, and so then, short duration, direct seed, and the bigger, yeah. longer, look for starts. And then the, the, the middle ground around that is if you're doing any type of educational thing where you want to show plant life cycle, you know, buy a bean seed, buy some beans, legumes, any type of legume, um, and do jiffy pellets with those. And they're just disposable, right? You can do beans inside just to see how it grows and just to show your learner. Like I, I'm not against starting seeds on the inside, but you know, just maybe put that towards a, as a learning thing. Um, I liked, I did start, I did start, um, sunflowers last year inside in the windowsill. It did really well and they, and they grew really well. Um, that was really nice too because sunflowers yeah, transferred are, them outside. Yeah, sunflowers are very vigorous. They're very quick growers. Um, they germinate very fast. You can you know get a bunch of jiffy pellets and put you know put sunflower seeds in them. They're very rewarding because the the kids love them because they can get really tall. Especially if you get some of the mixed colored ones, 
they get some really beautiful colors, fuchsias and yellows and oranges and reds and um, really beautiful colors. So you can kind of just assorted, assorted sunflower seeds into Jiffy pellets to kind of do the, oh, we're watching seeds grow type of thing. Mm -hmm. But if you're really just trying to say, I'm going to do my gardening, I really want to grow food for my family, I would focus on direct seeding crops and then buying buying starts. It's probably the easiest way to go up front. And then you can you can start playing with seed starts you know, next year. A lot of times, depending on where you are in the zone, what zone you're in, you, you know, as of now, it's just the end of March, you probably would have already had to get them started, especially mm -hmm. like a tomato plant or um, some other long season crops that you want to bring out there. Because if you think about it in a couple... So we're still good to start with a start now. We just wouldn't do seeds now. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But even right now, like end of March, I, I don't even know if most people are planting at this point. Some people are, some people in, in better zones than us, but we're still holding off until... I mean, we can't get our tomato plants probably reasonably into the ground until May, right? right? And even then, when we do get them into May, you're going to want to put a cage around them and you're going to want to cover them because it's just so damp and so cool. You're just going to get a lot of mold issues if you just leave them out. I see. So we talked about short. We talked about longer duration, starting from starts. Yeah. What about herbs? What do you recommend with herbs? Do we do starts? Do we do we direct seed? How do we do we keep them inside the windowsill so we can use them and cut them into all my wonderful <laughs> dishes? So for, for the standpoint of starts with herbs, I, again, I go directly to the big box store and you buy the ones you like. Overwhelming majority of us who are cooking are not very sophisticated cooks. We don't need, you know, sweet tarragon or whatever, you know, type of thing. We want to have a rosemary bush. We want to have some oregano. We want to have some thyme. We want to have those basic herbs that we all know and like. Maybe some lemon balm if you want to do some hand stuff, you know, some like hand creams, salves type of thing. But those are all wonderfully hearty. They're so hearty that you just buy the start, put them in a spot, at the end of the year, they're going to be a nice little bush. The following year, they're going to be so big, they're going to be annoying, you know, <laughs> and that's, they're really a set it and forget it thing. So one of those type of things, I would just go and buy the things you enjoy. Now, if there's a perennial herb that you really, really love, that's more obscure, obviously you're going to want to start that from seed. Go ahead and get that started now. Put them into a jiffy pellet. Once they get big enough and the roots start poking through, transplant them into maybe one of the larger square jiffy pellet pots, and then you can transplant them outside. Those are cold hardy. Those will, those are perennial. Those are things you can put into the ground now. Things like basil, depending on how, like for example, you can always get basil at the big box stores. But the one thing that we always like to do with, with the fresh rolls, we, you know, we do fresh rolls is Thai basil. you need Thai basil. And unless we go all the way down to the, you know, one of the Asian food stores down in like, um, you know, about a half hour from here to get big bunches of uh, Thai basil. Sometimes when we want to make it, we don't, we don't have access to it. So mm -hmm. having Thai basil outside, I, I don't very, I don't very often, I don't see that very often at the big box stores. So, you know, planting Thai basil is something maybe you may want to start from seed, but those see, that's, that's an example of something that maybe your family eats, you know, grow mm -hmm. what you eat, eat what you grow. And you, maybe that's something you want to grow. Things like mint, things like, <laughs> All the mints and, and be careful with the mint. It grows. Yeah, you definitely want to containerize those if you if you possibly can, or if you have an area that's kind of sacrificial in the back and you want to make that into like you know a lawn of mint. You know you can do that. But I really like to contain mint. Uh, it does get out of control. It does get a little wild. Um, it's hard to contain, and so definitely again that that's something you probably don't want to start do from a start because a lot of these herbs are so easily divide. You can divide them so easily that you just buy the starts. Get enough of them for one year, and then you're going to have more herbs than you ever want want to do. You know? I see. Okay, great. So we talked short term, long term herbs, yep. fruit, fruit. Let's talk. For, I love fruit. So 
I always like to break fruit into two two different things. Obviously, you're going to have your bush, your kind of your ground variety of fruit. Well, maybe into three three varieties. So you have your ground based fruits, very classic strawberries. I am a big fan of strawberries. I think strawberries are a wonderful crop to grow. They are very hardy, delicious, and they're delicious. And kids love them. Um, so you basically have your different types of variety. You have your once bearing, twice bearing, and then you have your ever bearing. I am a big fan of ever bearing strawberries. And I'll there's tell you, always strawberries to I'll eat. tell you why. Yeah. So you're not going to get as big of a strawberry. You know, those are maybe your once, your, your once a year bearing, or sometimes your twice bearing strawberries can be, tend to be pretty large. I think the, um, ever bearings tend to be the most flavorful. They tend yeah. to pack the most punch. They tend to be a little bit smaller. I'll put a link in the show notes here for Nur- Norse, N-O-U-R-S-E Farms. And I have a variety there that I really like is called Seascape. Um, I planted these. They were very, very vigorous. And they put off after that first year. We actually got a crop the first year. We got the starts, put them in the ground. We got a crop that first year towards the end of the year. Very small, very minor. That second year was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. We started getting strawberries in June and we had them all summer long. And to think about being able to go out all the time pull strawberries off plants. It's just, it's such a cool experience because normally we go to the store or if you go to the, you pick farms around here, um, or if you go to the farmer's markets and you see strawberries, they're only in for a very narrow period of time, the local fresh strawberries. Otherwise you got to get the stuff shipped down from California, um, you know, Mexico. And then, and then in the winter, it's all, all the stuff from uh, South America. And uh, I think um, Chile does a lot of strawberries. That is a, you know, if you're thinking about environmental issues and whatnot, that, that can be a negative thing. I love the idea of getting an ever-bearing strawberry in the ground in a nice big area and let them produce like crazy. The one thing you're going to have to do is obviously you're going to have to net and protect. So I love the idea of an ever-bearing strawberry. Seascape's a good example of that. You can try different varieties as well. I love them. They kind of had a fleshy red interior. A lot of times with the big strawberries from California, they grow them like the size of apples now. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, they all... just don't taste like much. <clears throat> they do. They have this kind of like, I don't know. It's it it's it's too fleshy, and it, and all the all the flavor tends to be on the outside, and the white fleshy interior tends to be kind of blandish. Yeah. These um, seascapes are just amazing, and I think all the Everbearings I've heard are really really tasty. Those are the only ones I have experience with, so that's why I recommend. After that, you get into kind of the the bushing fruit. We're looking at blueberries. We're looking at raspberries. Um, there's other kind of exotic things like goji berries and things like that. And if you get into kind of the permaculture spaces, which we'll talk about a little bit later, you'll see some other more unique fruits that kind of can bring in some other type of macro and micronutrients that they can pull out of the soil. If you're looking for vitamin C replacements because, oh, you live in the Pacific Northwest and we really can't grow citrus out here unless you bring it into the winter into your, your house, like a Meyer lemon or something like that. We really can't do citrus. Okay, well, maybe staghorn sumac can be that alternative to you and that type of stuff. There are a lot of unique bushing type of berry-ish type of plants, so you want to start to think about that. I like a good raspberry bush. They produce really heavily. Um, they're really tasty. You can store them really, really easily. If you net them, uh, if you net them correctly, you won't get a lot of bird bird damage on them. Um, blueberries are another good example. You know, this region for us is huge into blueberries. We're one of the bigger blueberry region producing areas of the of the world. Um, blueberries are huge here. They do really well. Easy to get into the ground. We have a ton of varieties that grow really well. You can do an early season, mid season, a late season. Depending on what you're looking for, you can have blueberries for months if you set it up correctly the way you 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 plant your plants. Um, that's why I like those. Next is we got kind of the larger fruiting trees. 
I like the idea of getting fruit trees in the ground as soon as possible. They do take a lot longer. You can get around that by using some of the dwarfing varieties. A lot of the big box stores now are carrying dwarfing or semi-dwarf varieties of like apple trees and pears and things of that nature. They put off a heavy crop based on the size of the space. So if you have kind of a space constrained garden, like if you're like a small backyard or maybe even a patio type of garden, you can get those into a big pot. They do really well. Only problem with that is they kind of be, they're kind of exposed. A lot of times with the bigger fruiting trees, they, they have kind of a built-in canopy that protects the fruit. Um, those guys are exposed. They, you know, they do have a lot of branches. They're always at risk of breaking. So you may want to trellis those. You want to kind of get into the espalier type of thing where you want to trellis your, your fruit trees around. That's another option. I always like to get those in early. Again, grow what you eat, eat what you grow. Don't grow a kumquat or whatever. If your family doesn't eat persimmons, you know, if we don't like those things, don't plant those things. If your family likes apples, go get an apple tree and don't get an apple tree. Ah, okay. Most people need an apple tree in the backyard because most families like to eat apples. Don't get an apple that is the same type of apple that is in the big box stores. You want to grow apples that are you that are climatized to your region because a lot of times different areas have different weather patterns. They can have different diseases. You can definitely find a local cultivar club and you can get grafted starts for pretty cheap. Definitely look online for that. Look on Craigslist. Craigslist is a really great place. I know in the Pacific Northwest, we can get really good fruiting uh, starts, um, you know, uh, blueberries, raspberries, you know, in, in gallon pots. Um, also, uh, apple apple trees. We get really, really cheap um, online. People are just in their backyard. They're just, you know, grafting and, and propagating and you can get a really nice, um, really cheap. You get a couple trees and really have a good time at that. Do watch out. Some of those apple trees can grow really big. Um, but that takes a long time to get there. So, you know, if, and you do need multiple apple trees, right? For cross-pollination. Yeah. Yeah. You do, do be aware of some, some plants need some cross-pollination. Uh, a lot of times with the bushing, uh, berries, you don't necessarily need that. Um, with the apple trees you will. So yeah, yeah we make, we have apple trees in our backyard. We make applesauce every year. Our kids love it's the whole one, applesauce making process. I, I kid you not. It's one of the greatest, you know, greatest things you can do is you have a nice medium sized apple tree in the backyard, maybe one or two. At the end of the year, you get like 60 pounds of, of, apples, a lot of apples and you go and you know, you, pe- you get the old style 1800s peeler that you can crank. see online, crank peeler. It's great. And then you just boil them, boil them all off, throw a bit, a little cinnamon, a little bit of brown sugar, and you make applesauce and freeze it for the winter. Apples are really rewarding. You can take all these ugly looking apples that you probably wouldn't really eat and you can turn them into applesauce and it's super tasty and the kids love them. So uh, definitely. So you got the trees. You got the bushes and you got the ground variety. I would really focus on because fruit trees take a long time. Obviously, berry bushes, you know, they take about two years to establish, but fruit trees take a long time. You want to get those in as early as possible. Strawberries are really rewarding. Get those in the ground, get those into pots, get those into raised beds now so you can begin to, you know, reap the benefits of those. So, so if we're talking about like first foods to start with, you're thinking strawberries, apples, lettuce greens, do some apples, some basic herbs yep. and for vegetable, what would you recommend for just like a, a simple basic place to start for vegetables? 100% every single family, every single garden should have potatoes. It's, the Irish would agree. The Irish would all agree. Um, and so would <laughs> they're the, delicious. So the, you know, natives in South, South America, they would all agree that potatoes are king. Um, they are so easy to grow. They are so rewarding. They're so satisfying to harvest. They're I so say. satisfying to harvest. And 
you know, unless the you've got some potatoes that have been sprayed at, at the store, if you get the organic potatoes, you can just go ahead and throw those in the ground and they'll just start growing. That's amazing. The potatoes, we all know because we have a sack of potatoes in our pantry, we all know how how much they want to grow. <laughs> and it's really, really, it's such <laughs> yeah. an easy crop to grow. They do take a little bit of time, but if you hill your your potatoes correctly, I'm not a big some, a lot of us will have seen the Facebook thing of somebody, you know, growing potatoes in like an, a wire rack that, I mean, or a wire, uh, kind of round with hay and stuff like that. Yeah, or a trash, trash can. Yeah. Or an old trash can or something. I, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I don't think the, I think the benefits outweigh the, the time and effort and cost with materials. Just put some potatoes in a raised bed, hill them up nicely, give them space to grow chase them as they grow, keep hilling up as they grow up higher and higher. And then you can begin to harvest you know, even though the plant's still growing, you can dig out and actually harvest early potatoes and use them while the plants are still growing, right? So it's it's a crop that is not, why I like to make potatoes is that it's something you can you can harvest, you can, you can kind of slightly harvest, and then you can then winterize and leave them in the ground or you can store them inside. They're just a really, really great crop. They're so easy to grow. Kids will love them because they're just saying, throw the potato in the ground. You know, you don't even have to do the cut thing where it's, you know, letting the eyes grow. Man, potatoes are so bulletproof. You just toss them in the ground. They're so easy to grow. And what's really nice is if you have kind of a potato that you like, say at your special foods market or something of that nature, like a fingerling tomato or some type of really odd looking purple tomato or uh, potato, man, you can absolutely grow those. Those are so much fun. Yeah, they really are. Okay, all, a lot of good things to eat that sound delicious. But what if we just want things that are pretty? I, I just want flowers and things. Fla- flowers are actually so easy to grow because, well, they do a couple things, right? Number one thing is they're beautiful. There's something you could put on your, your kitchen table. Friends come over, you have some cut flowers, you can put them in there. They're really gorgeous. Um, I love sunflowers because they're just so big and beautiful and they can be you know, really fun. And also they give you nice seeds. If you get a seeding variety that um, you can store seeds and that, that's obviously a nice, cool thing to do. But the, the other thing they do is if you're doing anything else other than flowers, they, they, they draw in so many great pollinators. And especially if you're, you know, you, you kind of have maybe, um, you know, an area where there's a lot of bees or mason bees, or you're, you have like a fruit tree that needs to get pollinated. Putting in flowers is a great thing to do. You can contain them really nicely, pick which ones you like, um, I'm not a really a big flower guy or, or kind of a perennial flower guy. That's for the other side of the house. I'm more of into the produce side of things, but I'm a big fan of sunflowers. I got aerial sunflowers the first time we went on a date. Mm-hmm. It's always been sunflowers. So I'm, I'm a big fan of those. Grow those. You can, you can grow the mammoth sunflower that goes like 15 feet tall or whatever it is. You can do that. Just to see if you can. Just to see if you can. And you'll be that person who has the sunflower off the top of their house. That's great. I like the, the, the kind of the mixed color. Uh, sunflowers they're really beautiful um they also throw off a lot of heads so you can harvest along the way and so you can have sunflowers kind of all summer long um that's kind of a thing that i like to do if you're going to do flowers all right so lots of lots of ideas of what to grow um but how how do we actually grow something so i think i think the thing is you have to you have to decide what your sensibilities are you know obviously you can go get a you know a box you know a bag of grow mix from, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's, come home, the raised bed mix, dump it into your raised bed, dump in a bunch of miracle Grow, and everything is going to be... sounds re- easy. That sounds really easy. You can even, they even sell compost now, mushroom compost, regular, regular compost, really, really nice stuff. If you don't want to do kind of the chemical based, um, uh, 
you know, agriculture. You can do the composting uh, side of the house as well. Setting up composting bins is a really cool thing. You're going to have a lot of excess material coming out of your garden, leaves, produce, stems, vines, whatever. So setting up a little bit of a compost bin and like maybe a wire, a wire bin, getting kind of that wire uh, garden uh, fencing, kind of the, the heavy wire garden fencing, making a circular uh, composting bin and just tossing all your stuff in there is really nice, especially if you're going to think about what you're going to be doing for the following year throwing your grass clippings in there, things of that nature. It's a really cool way to do that, kind of getting into the idea of composting. I am a big fan of doing what is easiest. So doing a mix of kind of raised bed garden soil. So I'm just assuming everybody's going to start a raised bed. They're not going to go and buy a big tiller and till half their backyard. <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah, they're going to be growing in some sort of container, whether it's a raised bed. Yeah, you're not going to go. Or... You're not going to go buy your big. I think it's the BCS tiller and you know chunk up your whole lawn. I'm, I'm assuming you're going to go out and buy some wood, and you're going to build a little raised bed, and you're going to toss some gardening soil into it, and that's and you're going to put some stones around it, make it look nice, and that's what you're going to do. I would. I would just say go get the nice gardening soil and then mix in some nice compost, maybe a little bit of the the the, the pre-treated uh, manure bags that they have there, and then you can add in a little bit of fertilizer. Not too much. You don't need to. A lot of times it's just starting with a good start is really best, and then just adding in enough water throughout the year. That's, I think, the biggest problem. Um, you don't need to continuously fertilize your plants throughout the year. A lot of times you just want to start it. Um, and then if you, if you're doing a kind of a sequential planting where you're actually doing multiple things, maybe then you got to think about adding some more compost to what you're doing. But for the most part, if you just start nicely, you know, if you just start with some decent stuff, you know, it, it, it tends to work really nice. If you want to go the more organic route, you can think about reaching out to maybe some local horse pastures, but a lot of times the horse pasture, um, the horse boarding facilities will, um, not be treating it, treating organically their, their feed and maybe the hay that they're using is not organic. And so maybe that's a concern for you. If you want to just go the straight organic route, the only concern about that is if you're starting organic and you're, you, you, you're going to put a little bit more money into that. And because you're going to have to get the, the materials and you're going to have to source things that are organic. So what you're talking about, you've got, you know, the, everything from the miracle grow, I buy it, oh, yeah, it's got everything yeah. included in it, or I've got, you know, options to buy compost yeah. or to buy or manure. Or you can buy the Alaska fist fertilizer or the, or the whatever. I so mean, what some... about, what about safety though? You know, our kids are, exactly. they got their hands in the soil and yeah. you know, what's, what's okay to use and not use it? Does this depend on maybe like the age of your kids and how well they are with washing their hands and things or, yeah, so you when know? You're, whenever you're applying fertilizers or any type of, you know, chemical based, not everything's chemicals. So whenever somebody says, Oh, I don't want to put chemicals on this or I don't want to put chemicals in my body. So it's like, it always grates my ears. Everything's chemicals. Do you want to put in some engineered material that was made in say like a production facility? Um, onto your soil, made like a miracle grow type of thing or whatnot. Obviously, just read the labels, um, put it on. A lot of times uh, it is water soluble, so it gets into the soil. It's it's going to, for the most part, it's going to leach out, actually leach into the soil for the most part. It may actually leach out. A lot of the uh, nitrogen-based um, fertilizers, I think, are very, very, very short-lived. Um, so you got to have your plants ready. The plants have to be ready for that type of stuff. Um, that's where compost comes into play and having good, you know, biology within your soil, having good organics, having good bacteria, having, having the good ecosystem within your soil is always going to be continuously supplying your plants with what they need. But if you're going to be just dumping stuff on, you just want to be a little bit careful. You probably don't want the kids to be doing that. 
uh, for the most part. That's something you probably want to do. But again, if you just start with some good raised bed soil, um, you can either buy from, you know, a local guy who will have it delivered to your front, you know, your front driveway and dump it onto a tarp, or you can buy the, the bags from Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever it might be. You can easily go ahead and just, you know, put the things into, into it, what you need. Um, if you're going a little bit more like beyond organic and you're getting a little, that's maybe even permaculture thinking your, your timeline is a little bit longer now. Like you're thinking longer instead of like, okay, I want to start gardening this year and I want to have, you know, lettuce greens on my plate by June. If you're thinking like, I want to be an out and I want to be a permaculture gardener. <laughs> it's like, well, those things don't really blend and mesh. You need to think more holistically about your garden space, about what your backyard is doing. What is your ecosystem? What are you planting? What are you doing this? And what is the long-term plan? How are things going to be growing and staggering and, and staging throughout through time, right? Because permaculture and some of these more elegant styles of growing tend to be space and time. They tend to be three-dimensional, four-dimensional in that respect. A lot of us are just trying to grow seeds, just trying to grow some lettuce greens, just trying to grow a couple tomatoes. Yeah, it sounds like that's definitely the pro level that, that, that you know, you really are yeah. getting into a, a it, much it, more bi- a big, yeah. a bigger commitment and much more planning and money. And again, a lot of those type of things is it's you are, you can do that, but maybe in the short term you do something else, right? Just get the nice thing, get a bag of compost, mix it all really well together, maybe throw on a little fish fertilizer, um, get your NPK all balanced nicely and then go ahead and start growing. Right. That sounded very complicated. So to break it down simply, if we can buy good bags of soil, we're probably okay. You're probably okay. All right. So we talked about kind of the range of this being, unless you want to do biodynamic stuff. Oh, let's not go there. Some things that are, some things that are more expensive and, you know, cheaper. And what, what's the cost? You know, if if a family wants to start gardening, is this a really expensive thing to get into? Or how do, how do we do this on a budget if we're not sure if gardening is going to be our thing? I think every family should probably have a couple of raised beds, you know, just as a general thing. I think from the standpoint of growing tomatoes, growing some flowers, growing some herbs, I think almost every family should have something like that. And that you should, you should almost see it as like, a, it's a piece of, you know, archi- you know, infrastructure in your backyard, whether it's, you know, you got your umbrella, you got your hammock, you got your outdoor seating stuff, you got your, you know, your Weber grill and all that stuff. You know, just consider like a, a couple raised beds, you know, you know, two and a half by five feet and get a couple of them or two and a half by eight feet and do get like two or three of them. I it's think a simple lumber with simple with, lumber. Uh, yeah. Don't worry. soil inside. Yeah, nothing too complex. Exactly. And I would stay uh, stay away from the pressure treated stuff because it, those chemicals can leach into the soil, and there's a little bit of a concern around that. They have these really nice um, cement blocks that can do the angled uh, joints around the four corners, and you can actually stack them. I know Lowe's and Home Depot carry them. They're like three dollars each or two dollars each. So you imagine you can get through four They're of them. They're concrete, right? They're con- poured concrete, and they kind of have these. Uh, inset they're like um crosses they're like joiners yeah they look like kind of like an old um iron cross type of thing and then you cut the wood and it just slats right in so there's no nailing no screwing no bracketing and you just put it into place and you can stack them up high so as high as you want your raised bed you just get more and more joiners and you just stack them and they're all formed to fit like lego pieces and then you just you buy an eight foot piece of lumber you know like a two by six and you just it just drops right in there you don't have to do any screwing, no nailing, no nothing. I think that might be the cheapest, like fastest way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, 
lumber prices are so extreme right now. So if you have an area where there's a lumber mill or any type of lumber production, we have a lot of that here in the Pacific Northwest. We got a lot of trees out here. We have a lot of agroforestry. A lot of those lumber mills will have some excess wood in the back that they'll sell that from a construction site that was rejected. You can go look at that. You can also look on home, uh, Craigslist if you want to get some cheaper wood materials. But if you're just building about two or three raised beds, I mean, you're looking at 80 bucks, you know, a raised bed to fill it, to get everything ready, and to get two of them. Now, you may not make your money back in the produce for that first year. You may not even make it in the first two years. But it's just, I would treat it as like a piece of infrastructure in your backyard. And so just consider it like that. Other way you can go to is pots. If you're really limited in space or you kind of have a balcony, obviously container pots is a really, really nice thing. Make sure they have good drainage. If they don't, drill some holes on the bottom, make sure they're draining nicely. But pots as well, those are great for herbs, great for small dwarfing trees, um, fruit bushes, any type of fruiting bush, um, even doing strawberries in that, or even just some simple produce. Like you can even do simple produce in there if you wanna do beans, if you wanna even just do a big tomato plant. I think you can even do it in pots and you can bring them up off of the ground onto your patio, make it look really nice. It reduces your, your weeding. Obviously watering becomes more of a concern there because with pots, you can, you dry out your, your root base so fast. Um, a lot of people like to grow up off the ground and you see these kind of raised beds up off the ground there. That's a terrible idea because the soil gets so dry so fast and you have to water like three or four times a day. Otherwise everything dies. Um, any type of wall trellising type of system, you can see those on, you'll see those on Facebook or Pinterest that come up, hanging trellis, garden, those again are very water sensitive. So if you're in a water conscious area, you may want to be concerned about that. Um, but those are other ideas where you can kind of get more compact growing and you don't have to spend as much money. You can find pots everywhere. So these are some good uh, ways to be affordable about it, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to spend so much that we, yeah. you know, it's a $78 tomato. Exactly. So if you're going to end up spending like $500 on your whole garden for the summer, go down the road, find a local farm and pay for a CSA. That's right. probably community the supported agriculture. Community supported agriculture. You get a box of vegetables every, every week and it kind of changes throughout the season. If you're going to spend a thousand dollars on your backyard garden, man, just stop, go, go to the local CSA some organic local small farm that's on like two acres, pay for a CSA box and do that for the summer instead of growing. Because at that point, like, yes, you, we all pay money for the educational experience with our kids and stuff, but I don't want people to like to go into debt to try to build a garden. Right. You know, if you're going to spend some money, you know, if, you, if you're going to spend a lot of money on it, you might consider getting a CSA to taste a bunch of vegetables as kind of a trial period for your first year and then plan a garden for the following year. Maybe as another alternative. So one thing that really comes into the the cost aspect is how big our gardens are going to be, right? Yeah. We talked about containers, and those can be really small and compact, mm -hmm. and we've got raised beds. You know, how much does someone look for? It's just you know two raised beds and a patio of pots. Is that I, like enough? I, I think I think two raised beds and a patio of pots is basic infrastructure for any type of suburban house. Um, if you have a if you have a decent view of the sun for six to seven hours of the day. Um, if you have a nice orientation on your house, maybe a little bit longer, you can go a little bit bigger, but I think that's just basic infrastructure that everyone should probably have. It's just a great experience. It's a great thing to tend to. Um, it's a great experience for your children to, to maintain something like that. So, so again, that's like a two, two by eight. So we're looking at 16 square feet times two is 32 square feet, 16, yeah, 32 square feet. And maybe even if you throw, throw in another one, you're looking at like 50 square feet of growing, you're not going to supply all your food for the whole year. 
you're not going to do that, but you may replace a vegetable once or twice a week. Um, if you have that amount of space and obviously you're uh, a few pots here and there can, you know, add some tomatoes. If you do, if you're a family like cherry tomatoes, that's a great plant to grow because they constantly keep giving you more and more cherry tomatoes. Um, that's a great thing to do. And you can do that in a nice big pot. So basics amount of space is like sub hundred square feet, I think would be very simple, very, very plain garden for, for most families. If you go anything larger than that, and it's your first year, I would say, whoa, hold the reins, pull the reins back. That might be just a little bit too much. Um, don't go full whole hog on that. I would say start small, maybe 50 to hundred square feet for your first garden, and then maybe grow from there. Because at that point you're adding even more raised beds or you're starting to fence in a given area and you're investing in tilling and you know whatnot. I mean, yes, you can do the layering and mulching and all that stuff, but for most people they're gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna do a 300 square foot garden. That's a big garden. And that takes a lot of time and it's pretty difficult to to have that be really successful. So that's why I'm a big fan of like a couple of raised beds, a couple of pots. Most people would be really happy with that. So what kind of, you know, if you're talking about 50 to 100 square feet, what kind of time commitment would something like this be for a family, let's say every week? How much how much time if they, you know, put this infrastructure in, are they really looking at? Okay, yeah. So like the biggest things for most gardens fall in the re- in the realm of protection and sustaining. Right, so protection. The first thing is is pests, birds, um, anything of that nature. Um, I'm a big fan of kind of using ground plastic, not ground plastic, but um, uh, fabric to protect. So it allows water and air to permeate, but it keeps a lot of bugs and birds off. Um, allows allows also light to permeate. So that's a good way to kind of keep a barrier. I do like using PVC piping as kind of a kind of a hoop style structure, and then draping your protective layer over the top and then rolling it back when you're doing work. That's a great way to kind of allow you to have a little bit less time in the garden. That's the whole idea is that you don't want to be spending every five minutes chasing off a bird or going outside every day and picking up all the slugs and whatnot. Um, You want to kind of protect your plants, um, but allow them to continue to grow. Next thing is watering. I'm a big fan of drip irrigation, but drip irrigation is very, very difficult to set up at first because it's so many pieces and so many parts, and I don't know how to set it all up. Just having basic watering, especially if it's a smaller garden, super easy, maybe once or twice a day. If you get a nice rain, you don't have to, you don't have to water for the day. Super easy to do, um, not a lot of work, especially if you're growing raised beds that are actually touching the soil. They're gonna be, there's gonna be a lot of water accumulated material beneath it. If you separate your raised beds from the ground, from the ground mass, like the earth, with plastic or you know elevate them above, you run into the risk of your water becoming a precious resource that you have to constantly keep adding. So try to limit the amount of work you have to do by keeping your plants as close to the ground as possible and protecting them. Obviously, any type of diseases or something like that can also become kind of a concern. But I thinking from like a standpoint of like the garden and the maintenance, walking out there, when you take the dog outside to go potty, checking your garden early in the morning, yep, everything looks good. Make sure the protect, you know, the the garden fabric is over the top and everything's looking good or the netting is looking really good. And then going out in the middle of the day, checking on them, see if there are anybody's looking stressed five minutes, come back inside. Maybe later in the day, you go back out five minutes and take a look for the most part. It's not a lot of work. I think if you can limit it to like an hour or two a week, it's you're probably doing okay. And, and so what about like weeding and all that's the yeah. thing that always gets me is, is Especially if you're, should, should yeah. we weed or is it okay? Should we just 
accept? Should we be like, think, as long as they're not stifling the plants? Yeah, as long as you're not stifling the plants, I think you're okay. Um, you don't want them to start to flower and seed because then you have this per, you know perennial problem of weeds. I like mulching, um, but be careful with mulch because sometimes the mulch will have um, seeds in them, especially if you get kind of a hay mulch, you'll start growing alfalfa in your backyard and stuff like that. So be aware of that. Just make sure you, you don't, you have a seed free mulch. Um, I do like mulching. Some people like to use, you know, obviously the newspapers and the cardboard and that type of idea. I'm not a big fan of doing that. I know the, the newspapers use, you know, um, biodegradable safe oils and uh, as their ink base. Totally fine. Cardboard's fine. All that type of stuff is really good. Aesthetically, I don't like how it looks. So maybe wood chips is a nice alternative. You can even do, you can do that. You can, especially if you, if you like the aesthetics of your garden, you want it to look good. You know, you may spend a little bit extra time to make it look good. So mulching, mulching is a good thing to do um, to help keep the weed base down. Right. And, and so is it too a lot about like catching those weeds when they're little and they're easy to pull up? That's, yeah. that's, I think the great job for little fingers. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of like bare soil. I've never been a fan of bare soil. And I think most gardeners are not fan of bare soil. So if you have bare soil, especially in like in a larger garden, mulching and covering as much as possible. You know, obviously some people talk about the coffee burlap sacks. It's just hard to source those repeatedly over the year and over the summer and over the growing season. Really focusing on um, getting a really cheap, affordable mulch that helps block the weeds as much as possible. Remember, if it's bare soil, they're getting access to water, air, and sun. And if you can take away a couple of those parameters, it hurts the weeds more and it becomes less of a fight. So mulching, mulching, mulching is probably the biggest thing. So are you a fan of using um, gardening plastic and then poking holes through the plastic to plant your plants? So yes, I am a fan of this. Um, there is also biodegradable mulch plastic, not plastic. It's like biodegradable um, row covers, things of that nature. Um, you can get cheap plastic at the big box stores, Lowe's and, 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 and Home Depot. I like that, but I still like the mulch on top of that. But then you run into the issue of what type of plastic are you using? Are you using a water permeating plastic? Is it not? Um, are you going to pull it off at the end of the season? There's a little bit of issue of you know, how are you irrigating and fertilizing your plants, getting access to the plants as well. Um, sometimes they can get a little, it's nice too. I like the plastic because it, get, it can give you some more heat. Uh, on the root zone, which can maybe get you through some, you know, kind of cooler parts of the year. Um, but definitely plastic mulch is okay. But then I like to mulch on top of that, like with like wood chips and stuff. Well, definitely some good food for thought. Mm -hmm. So, so we know, we, hopefully we all have an idea now of like what we would grow, how we want to grow it, about what we think it's going to cost, what size do we want to do raised beds or pots, mm -hmm. you know, the, the amount of commitment that we're making to these these little plants. You know, there are some other styles of growing in your backyard that might also interest you. You know, we you may not want to be a vegetable gardener. You may want to become a backyard orchard or maybe a backyard vineyard or a backyard uh, blueberry farm whatever that might be, there's a lot of different alternatives that you can do. Maybe just say, Hey, you know what? Growing tomatoes ain't my thing, but I love strawberries. So I'm going to grow a lot of strawberries and that could be just fine too. Doing kind of a heavy, I mean, you're not monoculturing in, in, in the, in the more, you know, colloquial sense of, you know, growing corn on a thousand acres, right? 
you if you just want to grow one thing and you want to grow one thing good ariel and i call this the chipotle model it's like just make a good burrito you know it's like <laughs> just if you just want to grow one two or three things really good and you don't want to diversify that is a good good plan as well and i, I don't doubt that now you can also get into greenhouses and high tunnels I would say shy away from that. That's a little bit more advanced. Pro level, pro level. That is pro level stuff, especially if you want to go all year round. Um, I think we're going to do a short bite here with a, um, coming up about some of my favorite gardening books. So if you're, if this is something you want to get into and you want to like start thinking about growing all year round, that's very, any, everyone can do that. Elliot Coleman has, has taught us that even up in Maine, you can go all year round. Michigan, I know you can do all year round. So if they can do it, Pacific Northwest can, and so can you know Florida and Texas and all these other places around the world, going all year round. Um, if you don't want to grow produce, you can you can expand into maybe fish culture. You can get into aquaponics, but these are things that are more advanced. They cost a lot of money with infrastructure. These are things that are really really cool. Obviously, you can get into permaculture if you want to start getting into kind of a food foresty idea, doing some guild work. But again. These are more advanced, take a longer time to put implement, takes you longer time to understand the mechanics of what you're doing. Not just saying, oh, I'm just going to plant, you know, a main tree and a bunch of fruiting bushes and, and some low, low line vine crops, just like Bill Mollison told me to. It's understanding the philosophy behind it can take a little bit longer. So be, be aware of that. Also, you know, maybe... Maybe you want to get into some backyard chickens. Maybe you want to get eggs. You want to do maybe even if you have a little bit of space, you can do a backyard couple pigs. You know, like really expand your idea. You don't just have to do vegetables or you don't have to do vegetables and chickens. You can just do chickens, right? So keep it simple. You know, if your family eats a lot of eggs, maybe you might become a chicken family. Who knows? But think about what you want to do. There's a lot of different alternatives than just building a couple of raised beds and growing zucchini. But though I... I think that it's fair to say that those options that you talked about, there was lots of those lots of fancy words. <laughs> that yeah. those are not what you should do the first year. Absolutely not. But but a lot you know, of times you're just people, starting out. But a lot of times people are interested in gardening and they start to get into these things that you know interest them. Like oh, I want to get into organic farming, or oh, I really like you know this type of farming, or permaculture really interests me. And you know, but they also want to kind of like grow some food for themselves and they've got to decouple some of these idealistic growing models that take a long time that have a lot of knowledge and have a lot of learning that are required to do these things correctly versus I just want to grow a couple tomatoes, <laughs> you know? So like you got to separate those two things because you can do both, but one's on a longer timeline and you can do something short in the short term that can benefit your family. So that was my big mega brain dump on gardening. What was that? Well, 50 minutes? Yeah, boy, that that was so much information. I'm I'm glad that there's going to be you're going to add links into the show notes for all of this yep. so that, you know, if there's any questions, obviously we went through a lot of material very quickly here, <laughs> but we we didn't want to just Keep do an Keep it episode. simple, grow what you eat, eat what you grow. 300, you know, 30 square foot raised bed uh, across two raised beds and a couple pots and you're probably all you need to do. Yeah. There you go. We just didn't want to do an episode only on why gardening is great and not tell you some of our thoughts about actually gardening since that's something that um, Matt yeah. is knowledgeable about. So hopefully this was helpful to everybody. Um, and if I misspoke here and there, don't kill me. <sighs> I, was, I was, I was crossing the whole spectrum. Yeah, he, you know? This was a lot. This was like a, this was like a short seminar. Um, <laughs> so hopefully y'all stuck with us. And if you have any other gardening questions or you're like, I'm doing this specific thing, there's a master gardener over here. You no. can just, you know, no. shoot us an duty. email. I'm off duty. And uh, I'm sure he'll be happy <laughs> to help you out. out. But we hope that you can find a solution that works well for your family, yes. Yes. your own space, 
your own tastes and interests and time commitments um, and budget, and that you can garden with your kids and have this wonderful educational opportunity. So let's end it the way we always do. Yep, with what we're into this week. Let's make it short because this is a long one. We're into dominoes, y'all. Double double six dominoes, super cool thing. Um, I was shopping at Walmart. I had some free time. I didn't have any kids. It was amazing, and uh, I was trying to figure out, you know, maybe some new games, something simple. I got picked up because new games is what we need, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> but little things with the with the six year old on playing some fun games like cards and things like that. And I saw double six dominoes. Obviously, there's other types of dominoes. Um, larger versions of them but i got the double six which is the you know the highest value domino is six slash you know with the with the break and then it's six i have been enjoying playing dominoes with the little with the the six-year-old like crazy the last week or two and she has been devouring it um what's really cool about it is more than just playing the game which she's picked up is the idea of a lot of times dominoes you're playing up to a score like 100 150 200 whatever it might be and there's this tabulating scorecard, and she has been doing vertical addition of you know ones and tens place, carrying the ones all the way up to a hundred, and lovingly keeping the score, and you know figuring out what the the values are that are left on the dominoes, and then adding those up in her head really fast, and then doing the addition on the scorecard. For me, it's been just a really cheap backdoor way of me getting her to do a bunch of addition problems, and she loves it, and so. The double six dominoes has been a real, real hit. We went to my parents this weekend. She played it there as well. She just loves it. She She's kind of developed her own little personality of of playing, and, and it's been really, really enjoyable. Yeah, we've gotten into card games and dominoes things lately. We have all these expensive games, and yet sometimes the simplest thing can be new and exciting well, to her and because it came, it's it came something she hasn't done. It came off of our interview with Maria Miller from Math Mammoth that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Um and she talked about how just how much education is in a deck of 52 cards. And she's absolutely right. In a lot of her books, she references all these card games you can play. And I've really been trying to embrace that. We play a lot of solitaire and things like that. So that was what I was looking for. And I saw the double six dominoes. I said, hey, let's give it a try. And I picked up a, a tin. It was like seven, eight bucks. Just been absolutely enjoyable experience. She's she She really latched onto it. So. I think yeah. she'll be taking. So, I think she'll be taking money from me soon. Don't forget about the basics and uh, all the great math opportunities there. So if you have some dominoes, pick them up and give them a shot with your with your kiddos. Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time, happy homeschooling!